On 11-16 SEN, the Four Diego's. G'day amigos and welcome to the Four Diego's here on 11-16 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Rodrigo Rodriguez with you on this uh, balmy uh, Wednesday night and thanks to Finey, another fantastic show as always and finally we're back tomorrow uh, from 7pm and of course the boys from the Wonder Years Always great listening uh, before the Diego's. A great entree to the Diego's, uh, as the boys tell us as they're walking out. Thanks to Milne and Zanas. Good listening, guys. And uh, Vinny Venezuela is here as well. Welcome. Thank you very much, Rodrigo. Good to be here. Yes, wearing your... Uh, oh, it's a nice uh, football top tonight. Vinny always looks resplendent in his uh, football jerseys, but this is an Italia yes. top. Italia well, I why not? Yeah, why no, not? looking good. And Warren, Diego, you're wearing the Azuri too tonight. Yeah, thanks for allowing me to be in your company, Rodrigo. Yeah, no, it's, it's nice it's to... Welcome you. Thank you. For an hour. And uh, Carlos Alberto Diego, yes, you're wearing blue as well. What's yes, going I'm on? pointing this to my... No, sky blue. Oh, sky, of course. Yeah. Sky blue. It could be uh, Melbourne City. Could yeah. well be Manchester City. Could be <laughs> Sydney, Sydney FC. FC. And if they heard me <laughs> putting their colours in the same sentence as Melbourne City, I'd be fined right now. <laughs> That's true. Because I don't like it. So, hey, uh, we've got a, uh, yeah. Well, welcome to you all. Well, welcome to you. Thanks for listening to the Diego's. We're going to take your calls tonight, 9429-1116, as we always do. And on the text message, of course, 0433-981116. Hey, by the way, today we're catching up with, uh, earlier we caught up with uh, Brisbane Raw assistant coach Ross Aloisi. Of course, Melbourne City take on Brisbane Raw this week. And uh, it's a good interview with Ross. Yeah, we can all... confirm he wears pyjamas. Yeah. And he World's goes to... first interview, by the way. Yeah, yeah that's Ross right. in his PJs. Yes, He's never as, done that as, as the assistant um, goes a bit very very early but anyone anyway coming up a little bit later on we'll catch up with uh, Ross Aloisi uh, and uh, and also we're uh, looking to catch up with Mike McGrath from the Sun as well if you want to join us on Twitter at 4 Diego's make sure you check that out uh, Vinny and Carlos and Warren are absolutely prolific on Twitter so at 4 Diego's is the Twitter handle Carlos what is the hot topic tonight? Of course, uh, we brilliant documentary on Monday. I think everyone out there would have watched it. November the sixteenth, mm. and it's not a love story, by the way. It's uh, it was a it was a story of Australia's the anniversary of Australia's. Uh, uh, qualification to its first World Cup in 32 years back in 2005 uh, when they qualified for the World Cup in Germany and uh, and it was just such a brilliant doco. Congratulations to Ben Coonan and uh, Bayless, uh, Rick Bayless. I'm not sure which Richard Bayless. Richard Bayless, mm-hmm. that's right, from Fox Sports. I thought it was brilliant. Some people try and put these things together and they don't do justice, but that doco did justice and you, you can actually see it online somewhere if you haven't seen it yet november the 16th the name but it really took me back to the night and i was in the stadium with my beautiful wife Carmen miranda watching the game live and of course I had friends all over that the place took, where it, that took all the diego's budget absolutely to get yes you there. no we, we went on a junket for the night and uh but uh, you know we're texting there was no tweeting going on in those days it was texting all our mates all over the place and what i'm asking for the hot topic tonight is um, what was your what was your best memory of the night? Of course, we know Johnny Aloisi scored the penalty and he took his shirt off and he ran around the ground. But was there any other memory? Or if that was mm. the one, go ahead and tell us. But yeah. what was your favourite memory of that night when we qualified for the World Cup in Germany in 2005? 0433 98 11 16. That is the hot topic. Uh, 
And of course, uh, at this time of of the night, it's always a Q and A with Rodrigo yeah, Rodriguez. Rodriguez. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now, is that you introducing your own yeah, segment, it's, Rodrigo? It's the third person. It, it, it is. It doesn't sit comfortably with me, Warren. I've said this before. So. <laughs> I think it sits more comfortably yeah. with you than you think. You no, know, I, I no. think uh, that was as more as, as assertive as you've been with, uh, yeah. with the announcement. That, anyway, anyway, let's go with the Q and A. All right, let's go with the Q and A. Of course, the Socceroos defeated uh, Bangladesh in Dakar four nil last night. It was all over at halftime. Of course, Timmy Kale, uh, the Evergreen. Timmy Cale scoring a hat-trick again. Um, we'll talk about the game, of course, because uh, that's interesting on that pitch and you could tell the, the, the players are unsure. But with all the security concerns leading into this match, of course, they trained. They didn't train uh, in Bangladesh. You know, how good was it that there was, nothing went wrong? I was a little bit nervous, I've got to say. Um, wasn't it good that they, everything was fine and the boys came, are coming home? What do you think, Warren? Are you oh, happy course, about that? Because that's quite serious, isn't it? Uh, it is serious. And mm. look, of course it is. And I mean, I think the thing that you need to respect is if players feel uneasy about travelling to a particular country, at that point you need to convince them that it's going to be okay. And it sounds like the FFA along with, you know, the Bangladeshian authorities because Tim Cale recognised the fact that after the game that everything had, been, had gone really well, he felt safe and secure. And look... Take out what's happened in the most recent few days, which is devastating. I mean, you'd like to think that players can travel to these places because it's what makes the Asian experience so good, but they've got to feel comfortable and safe doing it. The problem with what happened in France, though, in Paris, was it was so random. Um, You know, it was in the middle of the city. It was outside a major football game at the start of France. I mean, you know... And by the way, ten months ago they had the uh, the, the other uh, uh, Charlie, Ch- Charlie Hebdo, Ch- yeah. Ch- yeah, the uh, satirical magazine, the attack there. So they've been on high alert for ten months, and this still happened in the middle of France, in the middle of Paris. So what concerns me from now on is that they need to have enormous amount of security every time they go to any game. Mm. Forget about Bangladesh; they could go to Japan. And, and there could be issues. So, I, you know, there's a lot of a professional football these days playing international football. This is another issue they've got to think about. And uh, and you just you just can't prepare for every eventuality. No, you've got to, I guess, you you can't prepare for that bus hitting you as you cross the road either. So yeah. you've just got to take a little bit of faith and hope that uh, the due diligence is being done. I think that as far as our national team goes, the people here will... Uh, do as much as they can to get all, all the information they have at hand to protect in our interests and our players and the fans travelling. So I, I think that you, you've got to trust a little bit, even though it is, it's a crazy world we're living in at the moment. Absolutely. So, I mean, so that's why you kind of think this performance, even though it was against Bangladesh, you mm. kind of going to hand it to the guys and to the whole crew for getting the boys up to, to play in that game. Because they, they, I mean, uh, the Australian, um, the Cricket Australia um, they didn't cancelled yeah, the test was, series. To be fair to Cricket Australia uh, and the, the cricketers, that they were going to be there for a lengthy period of time, not the yeah, one yeah. night in and out. I wasn't going to compare yeah, yeah. the two because they're very different decisions. But what I'm saying is, is that they could have very well, the Socceroos could have followed suit. And they, and they didn't. Clearly different kinds of threats, but they didn't follow suit. And by the way, the PFA, the Australian PFA would have been, I mean, they would have been arguing for the players to not go. Uh, so the players would have made that decision. But Vinny, you've been in dialogue with uh, Ange Postacoglu. Yes. He uh, assured he, me he, everything would be fine. Yeah. He, he also, in the second half, 
uh, basically said he wasn't happy, but he, he really excused the players. Yeah, it was a difficult yeah. circumstances, and mm. and he did play. Look, it's a testament to what you can can play in a hotel lobby. Five aside in that hotel lobby, <laughs> got our boys up to speed. They were ready. Absolutely. So, but even though the the whistle's gone, and thanks very much for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's let's talk about the Socceroos' victory over Bangladesh. Now, in terms of the thoughts about the game, you've got to—I mean, you've got to hand it to Tim Cale. Uh, you know, three more goals. How many is that? Forty-five in forty-five, eight in eighty-eight. Uh, eighty-eight games. I've got to ask it again, and we've talked about this. Will he go to Russia if, oh. he, if Australia qualify? Of course. Yeah, of course, he will. Even if he drops away. Even if there's a, a kitty that comes out of nowhere and starts scoring goals for fun and the kitty becomes a number one striker. Say a Harry Kuhl back in 97 as a 17-year-old coming in and was just brilliant. We might find one of those guys somewhere, right? Tim Cale still has to go because it's not only the goals he's scoring right now, but the effect and the love and the adulation that those players in that change room mm. give him. Uh, and and the, just uh, he's just such an ornament to the game. And him just coming on as a sub in the last 20 minutes against some of the biggest teams in the world, even when he's nearly 40 years old, because he'll be 39 if we go to Russia and he's part of the squad, uh, is worth having. Carlos, I, I genuinely think that uh, Timmy Cahill is probably five games away from being a new flag. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get rid of the Union Jack and just put Super Tim up there. Yeah. It'll just carry the nation. Yeah. Well, as long as he takes Aaron Moy, who's clearly the best Australian footballer in the world right now, Actually, along with him. I, I ridiculed you a few weeks ago. And right now, I might have to soften my stance As long a bit. as he takes Aaron Moy with him, Tim Carl yeah. will break the 50-goal mark and he'll be in yeah. Russia because Aaron Moy will be passing it to him. Absolutely. Thank you very much. This whistle is uh, working overtime tonight. Let's, uh, let's talk about the fact that it's 10 years on since the qualification for Germany 2006. November 16, we, we've, that was a fantastic documentary that was on. Uh, the Austra Australian story was on with Ange Postacoglu. Yep. Played was about the, uh, the ill-fated um, bid for the World Cup to come to Australia with Frank Lowy. It's been great viewing on TV for the, for the code, hasn't it, boys? I'm just really wrapped that we're starting to tell the story of Australian football, but properly. Mm. It's not slapped together, you know, genders left, right and centre. They were three great, and um, people argue about the Frank Lowe, and people who were anti-Frank Lowe felt it was a bit soft on him. But the Ange Postacoglu Australian story was great. Really showed the ups and downs, the behind the scenes, the, the, what the impact of his downs to the family. And also, as I said before, the no November the 16th doco was fantastic. We're starting to tell the story properly. How good was the quote from um, Jason Davidson about mm. uh, what, what winning, getting qualifying for the World Cup meant to, to Alan Davidson and how he just looked up and Alan was weeping, Yeah, you know, joy for, for the team because of all the energy and heartache that uh, the Socceroos had experienced hitherto. Very powerful documentary. Yeah. Wonderfully made. It absolutely was. 0433981116. The hot topic tonight is about November the 16th. It's 10 years since we qualified for the our first World Cup uh, in over 30-odd years. What's your favourite memory? 0433981116. Um, Michael in East Bentley, the Bresciano stance after he <laughs> yeah, scored pure gold. The definition of 
I am the man. Thank you very much there, Michael, and thanks for your lovely sentiment. What about the story about Bresciano? The, yeah. Uh, th- that it, he's, there was someone in... The His father <laughs> was sitting next to the now coach of the Matildas, Alan Stasic. Yep. And, uh, and Alan was, I'm not sure what he was doing in those days, but he was sitting in the stadium and everyone around him were Australian fans and they were celebrating and they were cheering. But the guy next to him was doing nothing. In fact, he thought he was a Uruguayan supporter, really sad about what was going on. And right at the end of the game... Um, apparently the guy just grabbed his leg because this Alan Stasic was actually going to have a crack at this guy saying, you know, what are you sitting with us? You're a Uruguayan supporter. Anyway, he's turned around, grabbed the guy's leg, uh, grabbed Alan Stasic's leg and he said, I'm Mark Bresciano's dad. And he was just so emotional (laughs) that he could not, he just could not watch and celebrate like everyone else did. Mm. So that was, and when Bresh was telling that story, you could see the tears yes, in his eyes. Too. Beautiful moment. Makes you want to cry when uh, when you're watching these guys talk like that. And coming up in uh, very very shortly, it's Warren's rant. But before we do that, um, Victory took on uh, Sydney FC in the uh, big big blue in Sydney in the wet. Four mm. two victory. Vic- Victors were the victory. That's hard to say. Um, they were pretty clinical, weren't they, Vinny? Look, it was a it was a good game, and uh, I didn't think the victory would 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 get their noses in front because uh, Sydney kept uh, putting it in the net before us. But then uh, finally, when I, I knew that if we we did get ahead of them, we would just see it out, and we did. And and Barisha again reminds us what what you can do with a with a hungry striker and a hungry team and and victory remains the hungriest team in the competition at the moment Warren and I'll talk, agree? I'll talk a little bit more about this in my rant but Ooh. as long as the Sydney FC players backsides point to the ground they will not beat victory anywhere anytime <laughs> anyhow and they just lack I am so annoyed that I have to praise victory with such you know, I suppose magnanimous praise and because they are just absolutely outstanding for this league in the way they play and the way they're coached. But there were times in that second half where Sydney was on top, but victory defended really, really well and broke quickly. With Barbarousas coming on, that really gave them the extra prong. And with Barisha and Barbarousas, Barbarousas was just unplayable when he came on. So they've got these attacking weapons. I mean, Ben Calfalar hasn't even hit his straps so far this year. Mm. And they were missing a few players too on the weekend. So, and after winning the FFA Cup during the midweek, and then fronting up in Sydney away from home against a, a team that hadn't lost all season, I was surprised that victory uh, was so was so comfortable mm. for most of the game. Uh, just, I, I agree with you. Where I think they're they're a terrific side. Oh. And, uh, and they're just going to get better and better because they've got winners in that side. You won't see com- too much complacency over a longer period of time with that side, that's for sure. Can I just say that I, I have to say that Alex Gersbach for Sydney oh, yeah. what a player. played so well. He what a player. Yeah. They left it open for him a little bit. but um, Bring him into the Socceroos already, guys. Oh, He's 18. Yeah, yeah. No. He's hungry. Let's, look, it doesn't matter how old you are. This guy's ready, this yeah, kid, he's good. to be brought into that squad. Cocky, oh, audacious, good player. good player. Absolutely. And tomorrow night, we're on tomorrow night with the uh, Fort Diego's final oh. whistle as uh, Melbourne Victory take on Central <laughs> Coast. Man, this, this is oh, doing no. Warren's head in. But uh, oh, yeah. Warren will be here tomorrow night. Yeah, we're locking, win, him, we're locking him into stage oh, night. Oh, no. <laughs> win, lose or draw. But um, looking forward to that from 10 after the call of Melbourne Victory versus Central Coast Mariners. Hey, the Q&A will continue throughout the show, but now it's time for Warren's rant. Everybody was kung fu <laughs> Those kids were fast as lightning. Well, for the first rant, I'm going to have a go at coaches. Now, 
Jose Mourinho, we expected from him. But there are excuses all the time from the coaches. For Jose, it was the physiotherapist. And it's the um, it's the referees. Now, Graham Arnold, I'm going to tell you right now, Graham, I'm sick and tired of you finding excuses for losing. In the pre-match leading up to Melbourne victory, it wasn't the quality of your team or anything. It was the fact that the referee that we'd had had refereed us 18 times and we'd lost 10 of those games. When is a coach ever going to come out and actually say, oh, I probably coached a little bit poorly today and my players weren't up to it. No, it's excuses, 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 excuses. And Graham Arnold at the moment, who's modelling himself on the A-League's equivalent of Jose Mourinho, he needs to be more happy about the game. He needs to be more positive about his players and their ability to actually play better football. Okay, you hit the post a couple of times and blah, 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 blah. Just accept the fact that you're not good enough or you might have made a mistake yourself rather than blaming the referees. That's a soft rant. There you go, written and authorised by Warren Diego from the Four Diego's on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. On becoming owner-manager of Hereford United in 1997, Graham Turner said, The first thing I'll do is negotiate a pay rise, give myself a 10-year contract and then sack myself. This has been a profound coaching moment by the Four Diegos. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday night here with the Four Diegos on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. It's uh, been a quick paced show tonight. We've got Ross Aloisi coming up very shortly. Vinny Venezuela is coming up with, gee, I love this game. We're reinstating that after a number of years uh, very, very shortly as well. And I just want to point everyone's attention to at Four Diegos on Twitter. We've got Warren there delivering his rant. I've never seen a more red face than that. <laughs> Explosive he was. Yeah, absolutely. At Four Diego's, check it out. Warren delivering his rant. Absolutely. And the hot topic tonight was around November 16th, of course, 10 years since we qualified for Germany 2006. And we asked, what's your favourite memory on 0433981116? What about Tony Popovich's great game on Rakoba? Yeah, he stayed on for about 20 minutes, pop-up, before he got dragged. You know... The way he climbed all over him <laughs> to get the yellow, beautiful. You know, there's, there's certain games where you probably feel like there's, you know, that special man sitting on your shoulder just guiding you through. That second half was just absolutely dominated by Uruguay in terms of just, you know, attempt after attempt. And even late in the last few minutes, even in injury time, I think they had a couple of long-range attempts and it was almost like there was something... It was no, our somebody time. looking out Warren, for it was our time. It was that sense. I, I got an overriding sense of that. Absolutely. Hey, boys, um, of course, Brisbane Raw take on Melbourne City. It's a big thing for the Aloisi family, especially John mm. Aloisi. But uh, we thought we'd catch up. Uh, Payback. Payback. With uh, the man <laughs> who sits on the bench with him now, the uh, assistant coach of Brisbane Raw. And uh, we, we interviewed him earlier and we started by asking him what his expectations were going into this season and whether he thought the squad would respond so quickly. Well, expectations. It's hard to uh, hard to say, really, because uh, whenever you've whenever I've played uh, in a season or coached in a season, you uh, and I know it's an old cliche, and people get annoyed when we say it, but you take one game at a time, and no season's one at the beginning of the year, and um, and you just hope to get your structures in place, and and that's pretty much what we've done under under John's guidance. Uh, you know, just work on his structures and and uh, and just take him really honestly, one game at a time, and and uh, develop, try and develop uh, within our structures uh, week by week. 
Ross Vinnie Venezuela here. Brisbane Raw were sort of in a rebuilding phase post uh, the Mulvey period. Was there much to do when you and your brother John got there? I don't know if you'd call it a rebuilding um, stage when Mike Mulvey left because Mike Mulvey was sacked um, from my understanding. And the people that took over had the exact same team that he had um, when he was sacked. So that was a team that, that just won the, the championship. Um, what happened after that, I don't, I don't know and, and don't really want to comment about. But when, when we did get here, or my brother was here, uh, way before me because I was still with the uh, with the Matildas at the World Cup. Um, there was a lot to be done, and I, I don't know how much I can say and how much uh, you know what he doesn't want me to say. But there, there was quite a bit going on when he first got here, um, and for us, uh, when I did get here, it was a rebuilding stage. That 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 there was uh, it was a, a guarantee. Um, you know, we had to rebuild with the uh, the medical staff. Uh, because that was almost non-existent when we got here. We had a number of injuries. Um, and I think, if I calculate right, it was between 9 and 12 from last season. Uh, and long-term and short-term, um, the fitness level was, was uh, horrible. Uh, there was no records of, of player loading in training sessions and uh, no training facilities, um, being kicked out of your training facilities as well. So there was a number of things uh, that that needed to be done, and and uh, you know, basically on a shoestring budget. So it's been very very difficult. Uh, but at the same time, if these uh, things hadn't have happened, we probably wouldn't even be here. So um, you know, I don't know what to really say to that. But uh, it's been uh, it's been enjoyable so far. It's been a, a a good learning curve for us as well. Ross, it's Carlos. Uh, now, were you always? going to get this assistant role uh, with John or did you have to sit down and have an interview with him where he sat you down as a as the elder brother and, and said listen <laughs> uh, give us your CV tell us what tell us what you're all about and fight for this job hey and uh, was you, was your mum one of your references <laughs> <laughs> no my mum wasn't but my younger sister was <laughs> no i i um i've been coaching in the men's game for a, a little while um, with the old West Adelaide from the old National Soccer League. So we had, um, they started off, they, they uh, folded uh, quite a while ago and I took them from the third division to, to the Premier League and, and then I actually did uh, Ayrton Andrioli, the technical director in Adelaide, a favour and coached Adelaide United women's team. Well, I didn't really want to do that. And within a year and a half, I was with the uh, Matildas and women's national team at the World Cup and um, I've Honestly, thought that that's where my career was headed. Um, so I didn't, I didn't apply. Uh, my brother actually asked me; he was kind enough to wait for me to come back from the World Cup instead of bothering me while I was over there, and and asked if I was interested, and and um, basically filled me in what what his plans were. Um, obviously, we have very similar philosophies in football, and you know, very very close as well and um, he explained to me that he felt that I was the right person for the job um, especially with with things that had been that I had done uh, in my coaching a short coaching career uh, might say and and uh, and we took it from there because it wasn't set in concrete that I was going to come to the to the Brisbane Raw even after he asked me because I was on the verge of um, on negotiations with the FFA on signing a full-time contract with uh, with the, in the women's game, so it wasn't uh, like I said, setting concrete, and and uh, did take a little while to um, 
to nut out, really. Now, Ross, um, Warren Diego here. I'm just wondering, a couple of weeks ago, John actually talked about the fact that you'd given the players a bit of a blast in terms of maybe training standards and stuff. I'm wondering if you were employed under the premise that he can be good cop and you've <laughs> always got to be bad cop. No, no, not at all. And um, I think uh, I think a lot of people see the good side of John. Uh, he doesn't really uh, let people see the... Uh, the, how can I word it? It's not. It's not a bad side at all. It's um, it's an angry side. Um, but he does get angry. And but he's very very uh, calm with the players. And I am very calm as well. And I didn't get angry. I was beat up by the media. <laughs> I, I think anyone that knows me, if they had seen what I was saying, I was only actually I, I raised my voice a little bit. Um, the tone of my voice, but it wasn't definitely wasn't a yelling. Uh, I wasn't yelling at anyone. But if they wanted to make it look like that, I was doing a really good job after. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> but now, look, I, I didn't. I didn't get upset at the players. I just, I was a, a little bit frustrated um, that we were making a couple of mistakes over and over again, and, and and voiced that opinion, and that was basically it. And Ross, one of the things that I've noticed about Brisbane this year is, I mean, I suppose the recruiting of overseas players is always a little bit fraught with danger in terms of who you yeah. get and and not, but. So far, we saw the second Spanish player come on this week, but Corona himself has been a fantastic player and I think taken a lot of pressure off Thomas Broish in terms of the way that you guys play. I know that John played in Spain. What was the, what was the method in which you, you got those two guys, and in particular Corona in terms of what he's shown so far, bearing in mind he came in very late? You must be really happy with the recruiting. Yeah, absolutely, very happy. But that's all John's doing as well. He, uh, his, his work is twenty four seven, and and I can actually say not because he's my brother, but I'm living with him at the moment. It's 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 non stop. That's why I go to bed at eight o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't going to tell anyone that, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, so and and uh, he uh, obviously um, Melbourne City, no Manchester City, or well, either one of them took Luke Bratton away from us. Um, because they had the opportunity to, and and uh, and we were missing a, a our playmaker, and and John had spoken to a couple of people in in Spain and also here, and Corona's name came up, and did the research. We watched, I think, three or four of his games on Wisecout, uh, and the same with um, with Javier Havas. Uh, we watched games on Wisecout and. As, as soon as we saw Corona, I, John knew who he was, but I'd been watching um, a lot of Spanish football last season, and, and I'd seen Corona play not knowing who he was, but I remembered his name because it's a, it's a, it's a name that you, you don't really forget. Because it's and, a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I prefer VB, but anyway, <laughs> let's talk about the football. But uh, he... Uh, so, Basically, when we saw him, we, we thought he was the player for us. And um, it, it was almost a blessing in disguise that, um, you know, what happened with... Uh, and it's sad to see Luke Braddon go, but, you know, what happened with Melbourne City and, Mel and Manchester City with the Luke Braddon situation. And, and Corona came in and, uh, you know, he's, he's been unbelievable. But again, that's, that's down to the head coach and, uh, and Craig Moore, who actually made it happen in the end. So... Um, and and her us is the same, and, and it's it's a lottery sometimes. You're 100 percent right, and you, you really need to do your homework. And and John uh, did a lot of that. And uh, I'm not lying to you. It was two, three o'clock in the morning when he was watching live games, and and then as soon as I'd wake up at uh, at five, he'd you know say, oh, 
um, or I'd come back from my run and uh, say, "Did you see? Uh, did you see this? Have a look at this." And had been up all night watching these games, and, and that's dedication. But I suppose that uh, you know we need to succeed, and you've got to do what you what you can do to make sure you do succeed. Now, Ross, uh, of course, uh, John didn't have such a happy time at uh, Melbourne Heart uh, when he was there. And uh, it, we're so pleased that he's been able to get on such a winning start uh, at the new club, Brisbane, uh, Brisbane Raw. Yeah. What, what I particularly love is the influence he, he appears to have on young kids like uh, Jamie McLaren and Brandon Borello, two forwards who have just uh, really become two stars of the competition at the moment. Does John... Yeah. Does John work with them specifically, being a former striker, on getting the best out of these kids, or is it just their development in a professional environment that's done it? Yeah, no, he uh, he actually does work with the strikers um, probably once a week, uh, or the forward players um, on finishing and and uh, and whatnot. And usually he 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 does uh, most of his work with the squad, but I do do quite a bit of uh, defensive work. Or have done in the past with with the team, so the strikers are his uh, are his to work with for about half hour, forty five minutes uh, once a week, and and just little tips that he's got, you know, being the striker that he was, um, it uh, it definitely has helped these players, and they've come out and said it as well. And these players are they just want to learn, and uh, they they want to work and and become better footballers, and and hopefully go overseas and. You know, McLaren's got the opportunity to play with uh, with the Olympic team, and you know, all of a sudden there's talk about the Socceroos, and so that that's got a lot to do with um, with the coaching and the environment that they're in. And it, look, you know, with with the heart, John had a great time as a as a player there. Um, you know, it was a learning curve for him as a coach uh, at the heart. I think the biggest difference for him now uh, is is that he has total control over the, the, the football side of things here at the Brisbane Raw. Um, he's the head of everything here and, and he makes sure he gets uh, exactly what he what he wants and, and that's also working with uh, good young footballers as well and and uh, and you know credit to the Brisbane Raw. Um, you know they've uh, they've stuck by him with that as well. Now, Ross, uh, everyone knows that uh, alongside uh, your foray into the uh, world of football, you've had a foray into the world of tiling. <laughs> and now, is it, is it true that you got kicked out of the world of tiling because of all the uh, formations you drew on the tiles? <laughs> and have you got those tiles with you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't drawing any uh, formations with the tiles. I was uh, breaking a lot of tiles out of frustration. <laughs> now, I was working in the tile industry. <laughs> we heard that uh, there was a, a board meeting with the tiling company, and you said um, our new mo- motto is going to be: uh, "We're going to Brisbane. We're tiling it one square meter at a time." <laughs> so, so we we hope that uh, we hope that uh, you've relocated the tiling business. But uh, but mate, as always, we really appreciate your time. We haven't spoken to you for a little while, and uh, we're so pleased that uh, you you took some time to talk to the Diego's. Thanks for your time. Not a problem. Any time, guys. The romance, the drama, the controversy, the emotions. It's sudden death. There's only one winner. Love is a many splendid thing. It's Vinnie Venezuela's Gee, I Love This Game segment. Geez, it's good to have uh, this segment back. Firstly, before we go to you, Vinnie Venezuela, thanks to Ross Aloisi. Um, good to talk to the assistant coach of uh, Brisbane Raw here on SEN. Vinny Venezuela, it's G. I love this game segment. We haven't done this for a little while, but this is where Vinny talks to us about some of the goings on in the world game. In the over, world game, over to you, Vinny. and he does it like rocket <laughs> the whole time. 
But with my groin intact. Yeah, that's right. Um, look, we all know who the, who the man with the tan is, don't we, boys? Well, I'm not sure our listeners do. We haven't man talked with about tan, him. of yeah. course, is... Silvio Berlusconi. Berlusconi, because he's always got a great tan. But we uh, do we know who the man who can is? No. That's, that's Lats. Lats <laughs> oh. Ibrahimovic. Yes. He is the man who can. He'll tell well, you that himself. We did talk about this, Vinny, and he should play in the Premier League before he retires. Man, Man United should tap him up, having as a prong, prong for for at least one season, just yep. to 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 get things uh, happening. But uh, I just want to talk about the glory that he brought Sweden. He uh, scored two. One was spectacular. Mm. Was it? Was it not, Warren? Oh, it was it. It was the a free kick. Free you kick was yeah. just sublime. Yeah, he just knows what he's doing over there. And uh, basically, it's his destiny because Sweden were, were looking like they weren't going to head head to the qual- to to the Euros. But he said in the lead up to the game, he said. Um, I would love to play at the European Championships in France. I have played there for four years. I have put Sweden on the world map, and now I put <laughs> France on the world map too. In fact, if I haven't been there, the place is not on a map. It doesn't exist. <laughs> That's what Slats can do. He, he can put you it, on the map. He? That's well, a quote. Well, most of it is. Yeah, Some of it was just yeah. um, subtext. S- implied. Yes, yeah. but I was actually thinking about man with a tan because Cristiano Ronaldo is probably the you know. The, the one who thinks he's he's the the greatest person the, the man ever. who can the man who can but I think Zlats is the man who can yeah. and when you think of you know you've got CR7's got um, product and hair sculpting whereas Zlats has got the, the locks the Swedish locks yep um, skin care CR7 does skin care um Zlats just keeps his skin over a flame the longest. <laughs> he just won't. He won't budge there. Yeah. And I guess the last one is uh, CR7 wants to make people love you. Um, Zlats just tells people they will love him yeah. and they yeah. should love him. So yeah. I thought that was worth bringing uh, to people's attention. But um, in more pressing, in, in uh, hernia misfit news, Ooh, Rodrigo, this this, you, you will be very interested in this. Have you got a misfit hernia? Yeah. Well, yes, very well, deep. But well, our favourite misfit... Mm, mm. Mario Balotelli ah, yes. is out for three months after it's reported uh, in Italy that uh, he's got a going to have a hernia operation in um, in the next few days. Now apparently uh, he's going to uh, Copenhagen and he he went to Copenhagen and he was uh, diagnosed with an inguinal hernia. Yeah. Inguinal hernia, yeah. Yes, apparently Copenhagen is the inguinal hernia <laughs> capital of the world, <laughs> and that's why you go there. Yeah. Isn't there a preoccupation with European footballers to travel to another country yeah. to get some medical advice? What's wrong with their own medical advice in their own country? Because when you go to inguinal hernia, yeah. you go to Copenhagen. Apparently you either go to Copenhagen or Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> Copenhagen is yeah. closer. Now, for those of you who don't know, I know Rodrigo would know this, but an inguinal or inguinal hernia right. yeah. occurs in the groin area mm. when fatty or intestinal tissues push through the inguinal canal. Yeah. Now, the inguinal canal resides at the base of the abdomen. Yeah. Both men and women have the have an inguinal canal. Mm. In men, the testes usually descend <laughs> through this canal shortly before birth. Yeah. If you have a hernia in this passage, mm. it results in, protru- in a protruding bulge mm. that may be painful during movement. Now, mm. according to Balotelli's people, an inguinal hernia can also lead to individuals parking their sports cars in disabled areas, <laughs> an uncanny desire to set off fireworks in bathrooms, and people not liking you. Mm. Yes, there. thank you very much there, Vinny. Oh, look, I... Um I, I have an inguinal, inguinal hernia, and uh, yep. I wasn't sure whether to be happy when my doctor said, you've got a very small inguinal hernia. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, thank you very much there, Vinny Venezuela. 
That's always okay. just a little bit off centre, but as always, uh, we'll catch up with Vinny's G. I love this game uh, on a regular basis. We need to take a break because Mike McGrath is going to join us right after this break on eleven sixteen SEN Melbourne's Home of Sport. White Hart Lane is a great place. The only thing wrong is that the seats face the pitch. This has been a sad coaching moment by the Four Diego's. Yes, here on a Wednesday night, coming up after Diego's, it's All Night Appetite with Benny Jones. Thanks for your company tonight. It's been an action-packed show, and in light of that action-packedness, <laughs> there's no such word, let's go to the UK and catch up with our man who's ready for us on the line, Mike McGrath from The Sun. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yes, I uh, don't like throwing to a journalist after just butchering the English language, but um, I'll, I'll have to here. And, and, and you do work for the Sun. No, no. Um, Rodrigo here. you got Vinny Venezuela, uh, Carlos Alberto Diego, and Warren Diego is going to ask you the first question. Yeah, Mike, about the game last night, England and France, and obviously for a lot of reasons, there was a whole lot of significance around the game. But, I mean, forgetting the result and what a great goal it was for England to win, the symbolism, particularly at the start of the game, and the solidarity of the two nations who are fierce rivals on a whole lot of levels, it was it was great that almost the game of football was the first, you know, template for people to sell to celebrate the sport, but also commemorate the events and the people that passed in those tragic circumstances. Yeah, it was really um, really strange evening a really quite moving start to the game like you say that was um both teams i think uh did really well uh, in terms of commemorating and then having that um what i think is quite a symbolic photo of uh, the two teams uh, mingling um and i mean it, it was it, like you say it was one of those games where any score it really wouldn't have mattered because um, I, to be honest, I, I don't think some of the French players really, you know, I don't think they they wanted to really be there. They they have said that as well, but they kind of had to to show this solidarity um, and show that um, you know that life does have to go on. So it was a case of uh, getting through it for some of them and, and doing it really well, which which they did, um, and uh, and let's like say commemorating what happened at the, at the weekend in the right way. Mike, it's Carlos. Uh, I got a phone call today on Talkback. I was doing radio in Melbourne, and uh, one of the listeners was, there's a game in Melbourne tomorrow night, Melbourne Victory's playing, and he was actually asking me whether it was going to be safe to go to the game because of the of what happened in Paris. Uh, what's the climate like, you know, with the punters there in uh, in England? Is there a little bit of hesitation or a worry going to games now? I think we've got a lot of faith in our uh, security system over here and the fact that Nothing like that has happened um, over here yet. Obviously, we have to be really vigilant about things like that. But it hasn't really, you know, bomb scares, etc., have not been a problem here since the since the late 80s when there was a bit of a flurry of them um, when I was a kid. And I just think that us being an island as well might be a factor, uh, the fact that we're not attached to, to mainland Europe. So we might give the impression that we're a bit safer. And certainly, you know, like I say, we've got a lot of faith in the fact that our intelligence should pick up on things like this if, it was, if, if something was planned. So, I mean, you, I don't think you can ever say anybody feels 100% safe in the same 
way that it might not be when you go down the London Underground or something like that. But certainly there is a lot of uh, faith that we get it right um, in terms of security and, and everything that can be done is being done to prevent anything like this ever happening. Mike, uh, Vinny here. In terms of the Euros, uh, all but uh, Scotland seems to have qualified from the United Kingdom. So can you all, could there be a group of death just from the United <laughs> Kingdom? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, um, I just think it's written in the stars that uh, England are going to get Wales. I don't know why I feel that over uh, Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, but I just think um, England versus Gareth Bale and, and the rest of their uh, young stars, I just feel that that's going to happen. Um, obviously, I think that it can't um, it can't be a group with absolutely loaded with British Isles just because of the way the draw is set up in the pots. We, we know that England are in pot one in the top groups. So I think the others will, uh, will it'll kind of be made sure that they won't be played together. But like I say, it, it's quite decent odds that we're going to have a real um, a real kind of derby over in France uh, next, next summer. Now, Mike, you're passionate, but I think you're also realistic. Um, England had won 10 games in a row, gone through their qualifying group undefeated, then came up against Spain before everything happened, obviously, in France. And there was a sense that the question mark, had they really bridged the gap between themselves and the top teams in the European football? Where do you think they sit going into the Euros against the Germany, the Frances and particular Spain after that after that performance in the friendly? Uh, it was a bit of a wake-up call, I think, in terms of the amount of ball that England had. It wasn't a lot. Um, I think England are good enough to get out of the group. Um, and then beyond that, I think it will be down to um, basically riding our luck in terms of letting the opposition have the ball. I don't think England are that good to go and dominate a game against one of the top nations. So it's, uh, I, I've always taken the template of trying to play a bit like Chelsea did when they won the Champions League, which is to let uh, the likes of Barcelona and Bayern Munich have the ball and then try and grab something on the, uh, on the break. It's not probably not the English or the Premier League way but I reckon that's probably the best chance England has of success. So I think it's a case of getting to the quarterfinals and after that, riding a luck and taking a puncher's chance that we might see England in the uh, in the semi-finals. As always, I love the Euros. It's going to be fantastic in uh, 2016. Mike, thanks for your time. Where do we where do we find you this weekend? Where are you going to be? I'm um, I'm heading to Chelsea just to see if they can finally win a Premier League game. Um, it seems I've been following them a lot. They've got Norwich at home, which you know they really should win if uh, if they've got anything about. But it's not been straightforward for Chelsea this season. Mike, make sure you ask Jose the first hard question in the press conference. Okay, <laughs> I will do. All right, Mike. Thanks for your time as always, and we'll catch up with you soon. Cheers, guys. There's Mike McGrath from The Sun in the UK. Always good to talk to him. Um, Wouldn't it be funny if he did ask the first hard question and he got slapped by Jose? <laughs> Just slapped. Well, he's going to slap someone soon, Carlos. I'd, anyway. I'd like to have Mike ask, I'm asking this question, Jose, on behalf of the four Diegos <laughs> from Australia. <laughs> oh, that would be nice. We need to take a break now and come back with more of the Diegos on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. We're the only team in history that could lose nine in a row and then go into a slump. This has been a sad coaching moment. 
by the Four Diego's. Yes, and make sure you join us tomorrow night for the final whistle here in eleven sixteen SEN, Melbourne's home of sport, where Melbourne Victory take on Central Coast Mariners. Of course, uh, SEN will be calling the game, and then at ten, the Four Diego's will come back and. Uh, Take your calls, of course, uh, win, lose or draw. I want to have it on record. I'm going to be here, but I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> By the way, I'm confiscating everyone's phones before <laughs> yeah. we start. Yes, thanks. We didn't Carl, talk about Carl, that. Just, well, we've got a minute or okay, so. Okay, well, apparently, Central Coast Mariners had their tactical plans leaked mm. during match day. And, of course, the finger's been pointed at some of the players in the change room. So the club has asked the players. Asked very asked nicely. Asked very nicely. Mm. It's not it's not compulsory. But asked the players to hand their phone records over, plus their phones. Now, of course, some players have, have complained to the PFA. Mm. Of course, they're the players who have been leaking the, uh, the, all, all the <laughs> well, information. Well, allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> if you haven't handed your phone in, because some did and some didn't, if you haven't handed your phone in, it's because you're leaking information, okay? <laughs> no disrespect to Central Coast Mariners. I actually thought they were playing without a tactical plan <laughs> and were just playing with gay abandon. So yeah, yeah, maybe that's the problem. Yeah, no, very interesting. Of course, uh, victory take on Central Coast Mariners, and we'll talk about uh, all the other games uh, if we get some time tomorrow night. Hey, thanks for your uh, text messages tonight. Thanks to uh, Ross Aloisi, of course, and Mike McGrath from the UK. That's it for this week's show. Don't forget all night appetite with Benny Jones coming up after the Diego. So remember, Carlos. Wherever Puerto Rican girls hang out, we'll be there. Wherever you samba, rumba, and la bamba, we'll be there. Wherever there are girls with fruit on their hand and balls at their face, we'll be there. Wherever gringos play football, we'll be there. We are the Four Diego. Hey.